hey, I want to get in the league, guys. What do you got? <laughs> then I'm usually end up in the league with some idiot that doesn't right. know what they're doing. But Right. Anyways, are we about ready? All right, let's do it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. 43, man. Episode 43. I don't know. I thought the last episode came off decently enough. It didn't get edited up quickly, but I apologize to our listeners. There were some technical difficulties <laughs> on my end, uh, but it is up there, and this episode will be up there shortly. So you guys are going to have basically two for the price of one this week, I guess. Hey, that's sweet, though. Last episode I thought went well. The Mysterious Medical Mysteries. I yeah, that was a funny that was episode, cool. all things yeah. considered. Do you have the topics ready for this episode? Yeah, I, I think I left them upstairs. Oh, though. shit. We don't have to. It's fine. We'll I'll, figure it out. We'll I'll, figure I'll run up there and get it. We'll figure it out. It's no big deal. Anyways, so last episode was good. This episode's going to be a big one, I think. Right. Anyways, you got any news before you want to get in? Yeah, I have three news stories. Three news stories. Okay. So, first one is from Odd News. It's the one, you know, we like that one. Yep. Wisconsin man. Do you have this one? No. Wisconsin man marks 32,340 Big Macs eaten since 1972. A Wisconsin man who has held a Guinness World Record for lifetime Big Mac consumption since 1999 had his record updated with his latest total, 32,000 340. Donald Gorski of Fond du Lac said he averages two of the McDonald's signature sandwiches a day. What? Yeah, he eats two Big Macs a day. And he's been making them a part of his routine since 1972. How is this guy not dead? How is he still alive is my first question. First of all, I want to know what this man's cholesterol is. It's gotta be through the roof. And his plaque. That's not good. How is that even possible? I don't know. Two a day? Oh my gosh. Guinness World Records recognized him as the record holder of the most Big Mac burgers eaten in a lifetime in 1999 and the record keeping organization said he has now broken his own record with a total of 32,340. That's ridiculous. Now, every time he eats a sandwich, he's technically breaking a record. Is he not? Or is there somebody, is there somebody yeah. keeping up with him? I can't imagine there's anybody keeping up with him. I, could, I can't imagine. So, oop, another record-breaking sandwich for Donald, basically, every time he eats yeah, one. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Maybe it was like, okay, in this time period from 79 to 99, I ate this many burgers. Sure. So, so now he's like, okay, from 99 to this point, in the same amount of time, I've had that's you know, absurdity. this many So, yeah, that's absolutely insane. When was the last time you had a Big Mac? It about a month ago. Do you, you get them? You get them? Not very often. You, I haven't had one in the last five years, at you, least. Usually, if we go to McDonald's, it's uh, it's it's like a double cheeseburger. Yeah. You know, it's like, or like a McChicken. Or I used to like the snack wraps. Sure. The snack wraps were cool. Yeah. But other than that, like, we'll go there because Hudson loves the cheeseburgers. Sure. And what's so funny is you don't have to cut those up for him. He just eats the burger like oh, normal. Oh, okay, like a normal. Yeah, yeah and he does really good. he does really good with it. It's so funny. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, I hardly go there anymore as well. So yeah, that's all. That's my option if everything else is closed and I really need to eat. That's the only reason yeah, why I'd go there for sure. Because usually I'm just gonna get McNuggets at three o'clock in the morning because that's all they're gonna have or something right. like that. Sure. But I can't imagine eating that many Big Macs. I don't think it's that good of a sandwich. Like I don't. You know, like like I think the sauce tastes good. Like I like the, the sauce taste is of the good. sauce. That's but the problem is, is are the patties are too small. It's a double cheeseburger with a lot of shit on it. Is what it is. It's not even that. The double cheeseburgers, their patties are thicker than the Big Mac's No patties. shit. Like, they, they tell you, like, there's no meat on them. 
You, you put, yeah. put like an actual patty on there, then we can it's talk. It's like eating like lettuce bread mostly. Yeah. At least in my opinion. It's all bread, you know? And then most of the time it's there's way too much sauce or there's not enough sauce. Yeah. It's, there's never the in-between. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have to say what to that. That's how he's alive. Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> right. I don't even know what to say. That, that should this that should have been on our medical mystery episode. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Anyways, I got a news story and we're also going to McDonald's on this one. Are you done with that one? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So this one is from The Guardian, which we've been using pretty much every week. Yeah. And this is a brand new news story, but it's going to go back a few years. Like what's going to happen goes back a few years. Now we've talked about Lenten diets before. Listen to this headline. Woman sues McDonald's, claims burger advertisement compelled her to break Lenten fast. All right. Now this is in Russia. A Russian woman is suing McDonald's because an advertisement featuring McDonald's cheeseburgers Ugh. compelled her <laughs> to break her Lenten fast. So Ksenia <laughs> Ovchinovica from Omsk, Russia is an Orthodox Christian, and part of her religious vow was to abstain from meat during Lent. I guess everybody does that in Russia. They all abstain from meat during the entire Lenten period. Sure. Back in 2019, she'd gone a full month without eating any meat whatsoever. But in April of 2019, she was compelled to break her fast and eat McDonald's after seeing an ad for burgers and nuggets. She's now suing McDonald's under the pretext that the company violated her religious feelings. Oh my god. Claiming the company should not have been running an ad like that during the Lenten season as Christians are not to eat meat in her community during that time. The lawsuit she filed <laughs> was for 1,000 rubles, which equates to 14 American dollars. Damn. O- comments were, in the actions of McDonald's, I see a violation of the consumer protection law. I ask that the court investigate and if a violation has taken place to oblige McDonald's LLC to compensate me for the moral damage in the amount of 1,000 rubles. Now, the date for the preliminary hearing for this trial has yet to be set. Okay. I have a lot of questions. So, was McDonald's the only burger and nuggets advertisement she has seen? It was the only one that compelled her to break her Lenten fast. That is the problem. It's, oh not, that, it's not that the advertisement was run. It's that seeing the ad compelled her to break her Lenten fast. This is funny. And obviously, Jesus is looking down on her. and He's not happy about that at this point. Apparently not. She's obviously... Probably think she's going to hell at this point, and it's all McDonald's' fault. Now she was violated one thousand rubles worth by this, which is fourteen <laughs> American dollars. Could you imagine being so pissed off at McDonald's? Her religious sanctity is worth one thousand <laughs> rubles, apparently. That's so know. funny. I found that one hilarious. Like that has to be a joke. Like, is that even serious? Like, it looks that, like it's, even real. It looks like it's a serious article. No, that it was hilarious. In, it was in the Guardian's oddities section of their website, but now still, I you hear some pretty crazy shit come out of the super ultra like religious communities where like everybody is on like the same page yeah it sounds like maybe mcdonald's just is not on that page maybe not and this russian orthodox they're they're no joke like they'll yeah, be sure. over the head with a bible basically sure but to go to those links and what's worse is that it's probably gonna get settled out of court because mcdonald's isn't gonna want to deal with it one thousand rubles she's just gonna get her thousand rubles i can guarantee you she probably she's will. getting her, her thousand <laughs> rubles because there's no way that they're gonna waste time on that for 14 american dollars are you kidding me yeah that's funny it's ridiculous ridiculous but i bet you she's gonna win or she's uh, it's they, at least gonna get settled they, they could hand that to her through the window like <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyways, yeah, that's my that's my first news story. That's, that's good. all I got with that one. That was nice. I don't know if I I don't know if I want to do this one, but I'll do it. This is another one from Odd News. Police chased down escaped mini horse on busy Virginia road. A mini horse? Yes. Like a Au- miniature horse? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> August says police and animal services officers in Virginia chased down an escaped mini horse that found its way into a busy road. Chesterfield County Police said in the Facebook post the officers teamed up with Chesterfield Animal Services and Virginia State Police when the small equine was spotted running loose around Route 288 on Wednesday. The post said it took some serious teamwork to wrangle the mini horse, but <laughs> they were able to get the adorable horse home safe and sound. I guess this thing was pretty wild, huh? So they had three separate agencies yeah, out dude, there? They had, they had the whole crew out <laughs> My there goodness. trying to get this little ass horse. And it, like it, it's it's fun. Like I can see a small picture of this horse, and it looks like a normal horse, just really small, like a like a midget horse. Like it's in like it's funny looking. It, it's funny looking. It doesn't look like a pony. It looks more like a. It looks like a horse, like a sheep or something. Oh, it's funny. Could you imagine being in charge of this operation? Like you're the guy in charge of coordinating this. You got three separate agencies answering you because there had to have been one person who claims official jurisdiction over this problem. Right. I don't know. That's absolutely hilarious. Is that all you got with that one? Yeah, that's basically just it. a mini horse running, <laughs> running around on the highway. Funny. That's not bad. I just I've never heard that before. Mini horse. I've never you, heard. You haven't heard of a miniature horse? Yeah, I thought they were. I mean, they're like a big dog or like big, probably bigger than a dog. But I guess I've never seen one. It's I like guess. A, it's like I a half size horse. You haven't seen one? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I have. Yeah. I yeah, I guess I have. Anyways, is that, that's all you got with that one. Yep. Okay, my next one is kind of ridiculous. This is one of the funnier headlines that I've ever read. You, you probably we probably have the same one. My is from RadarOnline.com. Okay. O.J. Simpson says he avoids Los Angeles because he's scared to run into Nicole Brown Simpson's murderer despite being <laughs> civilly liable for killing her. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that for a second. Oh, OJ, my gosh. This guy is... Ugh. Orenthal James Simpson had a recent interview with The Athletic, which is that subscription-based sports news thing, which I'm about to subscribe to, honestly. They've got all these great sports articles. Supposedly, it's, like, really good. He had, a, like, a detailed interview with The Athletic uh, a little while ago, and it came out that, among other things that came out in this discussion, he won't go to L.A. again because he's fearful of this. The killer. <laughs> <laughs> the killer that killed his his wife and uh, the, the, the Ron a, Goldman. This dude is an absolute... This dude is an idiot. It's hilarious. Now, for those of you guys who don't know, O.J. Simpson was an NFL running back back in the 70s, basically. He played for the Bills. Hall of Famer, five-time Pro Bowler, 11,000 rushing yards. Pretty good player. Like Very good player. He was the first guy, though, or one of the first guys to really market himself as an endorsement person. So he was making millions and millions of dollars on endorsement deals back then, which was a big deal because athletes didn't really take advantage of that. He was one of the first guys to really take advantage of that. So as much as people knew him on the field, they knew him from TV commercials. And back in the 70s, that was becoming a really big thing. Uh, TV was pretty much dominating American media back then right so he took full advantage of that so oj was just a guy that everybody knew he knew him as a player he knew him from the tv then he became an actor and he was acting when he was a player and he was acting after he's a player he's in the naked gun movies yep all that shit those were funny so he was like mr america basically for a while like he was the man sure then all of a sudden he kills his well no he didn't apparently apparently not uh his wife who and his and her alleged her friend who was definitely who they were banging sure anyways so this article is hilarious and obviously all that happened in 1994 and he was acquitted in 
1995. So that was a little bit like I was around. That was a little bit before our time, though. Right. Anyways, OJ maintains his innocence to this day, obviously. Sure. And him on social media is hilarious because you know that he has like social media and he posts stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just ridiculous shit. <laughs> like the one the one he tweeted out was I killed it on the golf course today. My new Nike glove is feeling great. Oh, my God. Just shit like that. It's hilarious. Anyways, he maintains his innocence to this day. He had that recent interview with The Athletic, and he refers to the whole murder thing as the L.A. thing, is what he refers to it as. And we've got a good quote from him. It says, Unfortunately, some people wrongfully believe something, but I moved on. I still think I'm a good guy. I didn't let it change me. It did for a while. I was angry for a while. But I treat everybody the way I want to be treated. I guess these days he's living in Vegas, and he added in the article, How many Americans, even today, wouldn't want to live my life? I don't work. I play golf four or five days a week. I go out to dinner a couple nights with friends. People want to buy me drinks. I'm always taking pictures with people. Ladies hug me. Apparently, he claims he's living the dream right now. Apparently. But he still can't go to L.A. because he's afraid that he's (laughs) going to get killed by the same person. Was he intoxicated giving this interview? Probably. Like, he doesn't sound like, he doesn't make sense when he's talking. Probably. From what what you're saying. A lot of it doesn't really really makes sense he refers to it as the la thing come on man and then you have the whole low speed chase with him and the white ford bronco he's just like egging us on because he knows he did it and yeah he's just, he's just <laughs> egging it like he's just and, he's just he's just toying with it and man. he was found civilly liable he just wasn't there wasn't enough evidence supposedly to convict him in criminal court but even a civil court they found him guilty it, it, it's all it's all because of the glove shrunk and it didn't fit his hand yeah basically but what, if he would have just put it on properly yeah if he would have if he could have got it on it's so stupid could you imagine being the prosecutor that made the call to make him try to try on that glove right because somebody decided to do that right and True. somebody's like we got to make him put the glove on somebody's like this is gonna seal the case for us <laughs> it didn't fit <laughs> and that was it that was what unreal it yeah did you watch uh the people versus oj simpson on, yeah. on netflix I, if i didn't I, it's really good i think it's hilarious you saw they're making these ridiculous quotes today unreal anyways that's oj that's for ridiculous. you still fearful of that killer apparently he might, he might still be out there apparently anyways that's all i got for news today so I have one more. It's kind of funny. Uh-oh. So this is from one of our favorites, the Huffington Post. <laughs> okay. Man with coronavirus disguises as wife on Indonesian flight. <laughs> Ternate, Indonesia. An Indonesian man with coronavirus has boarded a domestic flight disguised as his wife, wearing a niqab, covering his face, carrying fake IDs and negative PCR test results. The cover didn't last long. Police say a flight attendant aboard the CityLink plane traveling from Jakarta to Ternate in North Maluku province on Sunday noticed the man changed his clothes in the laboratory. He brought the plane ticket with his wife's name and brought the identity card, the PCR test result, and the vaccination card with his wife's name. All documents under his wife's name. Ternate Police Chief Aditya Laksamada said after arresting the man upon landing, he was only identified by his initials. Police took him for COVID tests when she came back positive. What an idiot. So he had that entire scheme <laughs> hatched up and he still got caught? <laughs> That's a ridiculous aspect of that story right there. Could you imagine going to all those lengths just to fly and then still managing <laughs> to fuck it up? You still get caught. <laughs> now, still get caught. now he's got to do a 14-day quarantine. And he's probably going to jail, honestly. Probably. They don't mess around in Indonesia. I mean, they, he, he disguised. I mean, he, there's got to be a rule for that somewhere. They, you, they you, could, you can't. And with the way that these airlines operate, anything's a terrorist act. Yeah, one, basically. One wrong step and you're a terrorist, so shit. The fact that he had the, the, the veal on and everything. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
<laughs> he still got caught. That's the best part. What an idiot. I don't know what to say about that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Anyways, you got you got a fun fact yet? Oh, yeah, I do. Your fun facts are always the best part of every episode. Are so. they? So, yeah. For those who don't know, I there's this page on Facebook I follow. It's called Mind Blowing Facts. Yes. You've mentioned and that before. It just has these little random things, and they're, they're cool to read. In Detroit in the 1930s, a baby fell from a four-story window and landed on a man named Joseph Figlock, a local street sweeper who was walking down the road. The baby and Figlock both survived the incident. The following year, Joseph Figlock was doing his sweeping job when another baby fell from a window and landed on him. Again, they both survived an incident. This man had two babies fall on him. That is yep. unreal. And that one almost made it into our coincidence episode. I yeah, saw that one. I, yeah. But yeah, that's my fun fact. That was pretty I thought good. that was crazy. Oh, that was a good one for sure. And that, yeah. I almost talked about that one, but <laughs> what are the chances <laughs> of that? And they, and, and they all survived. Everybody survived every time. There were never even any major injuries. It would have been certain death for the kid Unreal. every single time. But oh, that's just that's just his life. Unreal. His baby just falling. <laughs> like I would never. I would quit that job. I would do something else. Yeah. That's funny. Anyways, are we ready for the main topic today, sir? Yeah. What is our main topic, Pat? This week we're gonna be talking about mysterious people. People mysterious that, people. People that either have like greatly exaggerated lives or. Uh, I kind of found ones that have no background. No background is the biggest one. Yeah. It's kind of either they pop up without a background or they did something, but nobody has like an identity as to who they were, but they did something. You know what I mean? Right. For sure. So that's kind of the topic. And I've got, I've got a three that I can talk about. Sure. I could probably do a couple more off the top of my head, but I got three. So Ho- hopefully we don't have the same people. We probably got the same one at least, but sure. you want to get started with this one? Yeah, I, I can get rolling. Have you ever heard of Jerome of Sandy Cove? Yes. I did read about this one and this one's really weird. And I'm happy you were doing it's, this. It's kind of weird. Man. Because I was gonna do it, but it was a little bit too it was a little bit too much for me. So I I, I tried to break it down as much as I could because right. it kind of is a long story. I'm looking forward to listening to this one. So September seventh of eighteen sixty three, some fishermen in the Bay of Fundy, which is in Nova Scotia, Canada, they were tending to their uh to their nets and their lobster pots, and they noticed a strange white ship in the distance. Right now, yes. it's not uncommon to see other ships doing their fishing in the Bay Area and whatnot. But after a while, the men thought that this that this ship was really strange because it was doing some pretty weird shit. Okay. So it would like hover, not like hover above the water, it was in the water, but it would just like hover around this one area, like right offshore. And it was doing these weird, like back and forth, same like routes. It was just going back and forth, back and forth. It kind of sounds like a UFO to me. Sure. And th- that's all it was doing. So they, they couldn't really come up with any logical explanation why this ship would be doing this. Sure. So the next day, September 8th. Now, here's the thing. I went, I went to like two or three websites doing this story. Okay. And throughout the years, there's been different stories told about this particular moment. And we're going to see that a lot. Yeah. So. So one site said that an eight-year-old boy named George Albright found what we're about to talk about. Sure. Other stories say that there were men from the village or uh, fishermen that brought back. Well, it, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't really matter who found them. Sure. But eight-year-old George Albright saw a strange figure by a rock on the beach. Okay. And he went up to it and he thought it was a seal the way it was moving. But it ended up being a very injured man. This man was amputated in both legs from, like, the lower half of the legs, from, like, the knees down. Sure. And he was just laying there. And next to his body was, um, and he was alive. And he, he looked to be in, like, his 20s, maybe his mid-20s. Okay. Or maybe early 20s. Sure. And he had a jug of water and a loaf of bread by him. That's it. And what was odd was he had very nice clothing on. Like, he was dressed very well, and he had very nice trimmed hair. Like, he was a good-looking guy. So he was well-groomed. 
groomed. But yes, he's well groomed. Water, bread, but and no legs. He had no legs, but he was severely in pain, and he was like ill, and because I mean he he had no freaking legs, man. Sure. So um, the boy allegedly went back to his family, and they got him, and they carried him back to the village. So the man seemed to speak no known language, and um, he didn't really talk or answer any questions. And people that got near him, he would just like grunt at them. He would just make like these weird noises and he was always like in a bad mood all the time but he never talked like sure. he never really talked to anybody now was he bleeding because of the amputation what was going on there because he said he was yes in pain. so what so they said sorry uh bottom half of his legs were amputated and it was a pretty skillful amputation by what that their doctor said okay and it was bandaged very well there was some blood but because it was really fresh like it would it almost like it just happened it might have been like maybe the previous day they thought or like it was pretty fresh so maybe a couple days he wasn't bleeding out or anything. You know, he wasn't bleeding okay. out, but there was some blood, but the bandage was very well and the and the operation was done very well. Okay, sure. From what they saw, they it, it was described as a somebody that was pretty skilled with, you know, that line of work. Did yeah. it, they they did the job. And now to be fair, I think 19th century uh, Nova Scotian fishermen are probably not the best people to be diagnosing the situation right off the sure. bat, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I mean? For let's sure. still, let's still. Yeah, so he growled and he mumbled a lot. But he, they, they couldn't really decipher what language that this man speak because he didn't really speak. And people tried to speak to him in like five or six different languages, but he did not react to any of them. So they got nothing. Okay. So they got nothing. And so a lot of people thought he was of high status somewhere because... Apparently not if he's got no legs. Yeah, but because because he was like the, the clothes he was wearing, the people there, they've never seen that type of clothing before. Sure. Okay, that makes so sense. So they were like, this guy is like some type of prince or some type of from somewhere like we don't know but he never told his story sure so what ended up happening was and the reason that he was called jerome was because he was making like these noises that sounded it sounded like he was saying jerome so they just started calling him jerome from then on forth okay so after never telling his story or where he was or nobody knows anything about him some local families like he was with one family for like seven years and whoever takes him in the government gives them like two dollars a, like, a month or like two dollars a week to like help pay to like take care care of him but he was basically just tossed around like a couple different local families that took him in <laughs> sure <laughs> some life yeah and now there's been there's been like i said there's been conflicting stories like that have been passed down through the years on how he acted some say that the only time he ever smiled or was in a good mood is if he saw children but okay. some people say that's not true some people say that he actually has muttered little things to children like you know actually like talking to them but oh, okay. there's not there's not much you know weight with that either sure but he lived till april 15th 19th 1912. No they, shit. They believed that to, to him for him to be in his like 70s, and he literally lived 30 years in complete silence. That's nope. ridiculous. Nobody knows who the hell this guy is, where he came from, how his legs got amputated, why his legs got amputated. We don't know anything about this guy. He just showed up on the shore in Nova Scotia. <laughs> I don't know what to say. And I I saw that one. I glimpsed it. I didn't read it fully. So that yeah. was a good. That was a really good breakdown. That's basically you know basically the whole thing. Now I've got a theory. Now Nova Scotia is Canada. It's kind of up north kind of towards the northwest passage if you will yeah yeah and we talked about it a couple <laughs> weeks ago on the aliens episode the alien monsters that the british empire yeah, the, were, were the franklin yeah. the franklin expedition the franklin maybe expedition. this guy because this ties in like same country kind of yeah, yeah maybe why wouldn't he speak though why didn't he say anything maybe the aliens took away his vocal recognition maybe they tried to do okay here's what they did they tried to do one of those brain wipes you know how the people come back with the amnesia they don't know what happened when they get abducted sure, sure. he got abducted they fucked up 
up the amnesia thing, completely obliterated their language recognition part of his brain. <laughs> I can guarantee you that's what happened. Some some theories say that he got in some type of accident and they had to amputate his legs and his and in his accident he had brain damage and he couldn't speak anymore. Sure. That, those, that's a theory some people have. That doesn't explain why he was abandoned. The expert precision well, of the surgery. May, maybe he was on some ship and they were like, bro, you are you're you know, you're 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 not worth taking care of anymore. We gotta we just gotta take you somewhere. Okay. We gotta we gotta drop you off. Let's think about your li- your liability. Let's think about this backwards for a second. Any ship that has a guy like this and has a surgery done like this, has a guy on the ship that can do a surgery like this, can do an amputation like this so perfectly. Any ship that has that has the resources to get this guy home at least. They're not just gonna abandon him. There's no I, way they're I gonna have know. they're gonna have the best surgeon in the world on the ship to repair this guy's well, legs. They're, they're or not whatever. saying it, it was the best surgeon in the world. They were just saying that it was it was done well. Like it was bandaged well. It wasn't Still, infected. It was it was done good. I don't buy that. I'm thinking the aliens fucked up, man. <laughs> Why do they take his legs? Why take his legs? Maybe they're learning about them. Maybe this is a different alien race that we haven't encountered yet. Oh man. Or maybe this is an early like you know how they're like different incidences that kind of set precedent forward. So if you fuck up once, it's like well you can't do this again. So every other time you abduct humans, you can't do this type of thing. Right. Maybe this is just an example that they use. Maybe the Greys did this back in the 19th century. Sure. And after the Council of Five found out, they said no more doing this type of thing, guys. <laughs> That's my theory. But that's a great story, honestly. Yeah, that was a really good one. Hey, uh, if you guys know anything about this, tweet us at 30 in the... What was his name? Jerome of... Jerome of something? Jerome of Sandy Cove. Yeah, no, that was a great one. I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, that was a good one. Anyways, what do you, what do you got? My first one. You might have this one. I don't know. Sure. Have you ever heard of the mysterious orator at the signing of the Declaration of Independence? You know, you might have told me about this before. And this one is... But I'm not familiar. Go ahead. This one is kind of... Kind of spooky? It's weird, and the history is spotty on this one. And before I get into it, I didn't realize how spotty the history of the Declaration of Independence actually is. They had July 4th, 1776 down. It probably wasn't signed, like, as it, as it's told. Sure. And I was doing some research on this, and I'm kind of starting to lean towards, it was probably passed around over several months, and they just slapped a date on it, basically. Now, the Founding Fathers... Oh, yeah. You, you know, that makes sense, though. Yeah. And the Founding Fathers, they got their dates, and they got their reason for making it seem like it was a lot more organized than it was. But at the end of the day, these guys are politicians. People forget that. I mean, isn't that why a certain part of the country celebrates 4th of July on a different day. Yeah, but some people might say it's July 2nd. Sure. Some people might say it's August 2nd. Yeah. So it's it's weird how that works. And then when you look at the history, it's very difficult to see all these guys being in the same room at the same time. Of course, because traveling was very difficult back then. Traveling was difficult, and there are guys that signed it that weren't really part of the Continental Congress. Yes. At, on July 4th, they would have been coming in a little bit later. You know what I mean? Sure. So there's speculation as to if the Jefferson, and it's pretty much Jefferson's diaries that have the story but he was also known to smooth out rough details basically when he was discussing history especially mm-hmm. and obviously that was important back then because you had to show a unified front sure even though the continental congress was not on the same page about everything definitely so anyways this mysterious orator is an alleged person that was there at the big one the big discussion whenever it happened and there probably was a big like a big moment at least where a lot of the guys were in the same room and they kind of got it hammered out and they started signing but it probably wasn't everybody all at once basically sure so a 
according to the story, and the sources of the story are all over the place, but it, it comes up several times throughout different points in history. According to the story, on July 4th, 1776, late in the evening, the guys had been fighting about just, like, minutia, basically. Sure. Like, gibbets was the word that they kept using. Yeah. And out of nowhere, a tall, slender man, unknown to anybody there, wearing a dark robe, even though it was the middle of summer, stood up. And with a booming voice, he went into this long speech, basically, about the Declaration of Independence. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a, an excerpt of it, at least, though. Sign that parchment. Sign. If the next moment the gibbet's rope is about your neck, sign. If the next minute this hall rings with the clash of falling axes, sign. By all your hopes in life or death, as men, as husbands, as fathers, brothers, sign your names to the parchment or be accursed forever. Sign. And not only for yourselves, but for all ages. For that parchment will be the textbook of freedom, the Bible of the rights of man forever. No shit. That's just a small excerpt of that speech. That's awesome. But according to the story, he gave this speech. And the speech kind of gives me chills because you can kind of just hear it. You can yeah. just feel it being... Yeah, definitely. The problem is nobody knows who delivered this speech. The first records pop up in the early 19th century. Uh, one, one of the American authors that was a poet, friend of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. You know, I haven't... I haven't finished the Federalist Papers. I wonder if this is in the Federalist Papers. I don't think you're going to see it in there. No? I don't think so. I don't know for sure. But apparently after he delivered the speech, he collapsed into his seat where he was sitting. I guess it took a lot out of him because it was a very, very powerfully delivered speech. Sure. And John Hancock, among others, immediately went to the podium and just started signing their names because they were like, there it is. He summed it up. We got to do it, basically. <laughs> and the day lived on in history, and we still celebrate it today. That's the story. Now, the problem is, is, first of all, we don't know if this actually happened because you would think that Jefferson would have mentioned something like this sure uh there's debate as if the speech was actually given my source on this one that i originally learned learned about this was from the rule by secrecy which is by jim mars which is a book i ordered it's coming for you it is ordered it's gonna oh, be here thanks man it's gonna be here next week so you're gonna have it which you might you might enjoy that book but that was the first time i heard about this sure so i did a little bit more research on it and again there's questions as to who could have delivered the speech some people out there are saying that this is the exact type of thing that patrick henry would have said hmm. the question is why wouldn't it just be attributed to patrick henry then you know i mean he was a well-known founding father yeah, the guy was, was named after why would he why would it not why would they not know that this was him you know what i mean exactly uh, or a couple other people that it could have been in theory some people say it was just some random guy that was there and people people were in the building that weren't exactly benjamin martin it could have been <laughs> honestly it could have been it seemed like something he would have said right but there were people in the building that weren't delegate signing but they were just there basically so there could have just been some random guy that was there some people speculate it might have been francis bacon i don't know if you're familiar with him he was an english guy who but if you look at Francis Bacon's life, he was involved in everything. He was all over the place. No shit. There are people out there that claim that Sir Francis Bacon was the actual literary mind behind Shakespeare, which he, is interesting. So Shakespeare is just a pseudonym? Basically. Okay. We could have done Shakespeare on this episode. I'm not going to do Shakespeare, but that would have been a perfect character for this episode because that's the same exact type of thing. Right. A lot of stuff associated to the guy, not a lot of information about the guy. You know what I mean? Sure. So Sir Francis Bacon was speculated as to possibly be somebody who would have had the motivation to give a speech like this could have theoretically been around now it seems like this would have been towards the like extreme end of sir francis bacon's life if if this was him speaking in 1776 i don't know how long he lived so an old man a speech like that would take him out would take him out exactly there is another theory out there and this one kind of caught my interest and when i read this story the first time i figured that it was this guy and this is gonna be a, uh, this is a character that i'm gonna talk about later on sure is the count of saint germain who was basically i'm gonna talk about him later on because he's He's one of the guys I want to cover. Are you covering him as well? No. Okay, good. <laughs> 
But this guy was basically a European, kind of like a court diplomat, basically, is what he was. Sure. But some people speculate that it was maybe him that made his way to America to give that speech. Hmm. Now, he could have, because as I get into this guy, he, it could it could fit. But sure. there's other speculation that it was a different member of a secret society like Theosophist or a Rosicrucian hmm. or a Freemason. Somebody who was heavily involved, but behind the scenes, that stood up to deliver that speech. Hmm. So it's very interesting. And Theosophist is a term that I've been kind of studying a little bit. It's like religion and philosophy, but like secret societies at the same time is what theosophy essentially is. Sure. There are theosophists out there that have like an expl- explanation for everything. And it's not really super tied in. It's tied into my secret society bullshit, but this goes like a lot deeper and a lot r- more ridiculous. But there are theosophists that say that, yes, this event happened. But then again, they'd have a reason to fabricate it. You know what I mean? Sure. So hmm. anyways, the orator of the Declaration of Independence. I'm kind of leaning towards he probably existed just because the history dates that that far back pretty quickly like he pops up pretty quickly yeah now, obviously that's a heavily romanticized time in history a lot of people have got their opinions about it they all you like to look back and think that it was a flawless ex- execution of the revolution basically right so this could be just a story that somebody came up with that sounded really great could be and helped explain a lot of the problems back then you know what i mean right so that's the order at the declaration of independence i think it's an interesting one yeah that's interesting. i'd recommend looking it up and looking up that speech mm-hmm. because that speech was compelling even if somebody just came up with that is a pretty cool speech right so Anyways, that's what I got for that one. Nice. I like that shit. I like that American history shit. So, I think you know about this one. I think you we've we've discussed this guy before. I'm pretty sure. Okay. The man from Torrid. I know about him. You know about this and guy? I, I know. I know what it <sighs> is. So, the man from Torrid. In July of 1954, in Haneda Airport in Japan, a Caucasian gentleman walked up to customs following an arrival from Europe. Now, he seemed pretty normal, but when he when he was asked where his country of origin was, it's not, not very normal. This guy claims he's from the country of, how do you hell you say it? Torrid. T-A-U-R-E-D? Yeah, Torrid. So I looked it up. Torrid. Now, he was quite adamant about it, and he had a passport that looked absolutely legit, that was stamped that had stamps from Torrid on it and he had stamps from multiple um uh you know travels from Japan to Torrid and, and, and a bunch of different and legi- other real, legi- real countries real countries yeah right he was presented a map and he said that the country of Andorra is where his real country is and the country of Andorra is a really it's pretty it's basically like a really small like principality yeah that's in between France and Spain like it's it's really small. it's very small it's, it's in the mountains it's, it's in just the, like it's in yeah. the mountains it's like a the, valley, basically. The, the, the population's like 77,000. Yeah. Like, it's a really small place. And this guy is 100% serious that this is where he's from, and the, the name of this country is Torrid. Yes. Well, the authorities and the customs, they could not verify where in the hell this place is. They, they say it does not exist, and the man's getting pretty upset because he obviously really believes that this place exists. This is where he lives. And this is interrupting his travel. He's interrupting his travel. Now, I've read on a couple different sites. I'm not sure if the company that he's traveling for exists. One site says that it did exist, it was, but it was a company based in Tokyo. Another site that I was getting research on said that it, it, they didn't. The, the company the didn't company exist. didn't exist. Okay, right. So I'm not really. I don't really know if the company exists or not. Sure. But the hotel in which he stayed at in Japan did exist. But the staff there said that there was no booking for this man in the hotel. Yeah. But he said that he's that he was staying there. Yeah. So the authorities are basically like, dude, this guy's like a criminal. We don't. This guy is talking all this bullshit. He must be doing something illegal. Sure. So they basically. 
arrest him and they put him in this hotel near the, the airport. Yep. They put two guards in front of his door and this was a multi-story hotel and there was no balcony. Yep. And there was only one entrance, one exit. And it was the same door. Yep. And two guards were guarding it. The next morning, the guy vanished. Yep. Completely gone. All the documents, all his shit, everything was gone. Was gone. He vanished. Yep. Nobody knows where he was, where he came from. I think he's from a different dimension. Are you ready for some something you're not, you're not going to want to hear? Time traveler. Are you ready for something you're not going to want to hear? Sure. I did a ton of research on this one. Is this made up? A ton of research. This is one of the stories that I wanted to be true so badly. I knew about this one for re- yeah. years. It kept popping up. It kept popping up. It kept popping up. And for a while, I couldn't find a good explanation. Everybody, this was something that people ignored because they were like, how the hell is this a real thing? It was ridiculous. It was absurd. Yeah, I, I read that it could be a hoax, too. It's not a hoax. Well, it well, it's a story. It's not sure. real. It was in, I think it was even in a Japanese magazine. There was a very low circulation, like, fiction magazine. You know, like, kind of like Reader's Digest or any of those where you people yeah. shit in short stories, basically. Yeah. This one had, like, no circulation, but they were able to trace it back <laughs> to that. It was, a, it was a fictional story. Right. That had, it was it was so lowly circulated that somebody read it and was able to just tell it as fact, and it just kind of took up steam over the decades. Nice. And it ended up taking on the life of its own, basically. I think that shit happens, though. I think... It's a great story, and I that one another one that gave me chills because I thought I wanted that one to be real. Right, I wanted to but be real. But once I did some research, I th- it's, it was a story, which is yeah, a shame. I think the one website, what was it? Uh, there is uh, English News, English News Nation TV dot com had a had an article on it, and then uh, uh, Blenders Eyewear dot com had a had an article on it too. And, th- yeah. and and they said that we it's probably not real. Sure, but they're we didn't they didn't really know. People saying, oh, it's probably not real, isn't evidence. You right, know what I mean? exactly. So I was sitting there for years, like, well, you know, there's like sure. it's probably not real but sh- prove it to me and then i saw the magazine where it came from and i was like shit nice but anyways though that's well we, under, a, we know the mystery of that it's still a good story it's still a good story and <laughs> yeah, i was that was a really good story i almost talked about it anyways like i almost talked about that one too <laughs> now are you done with that one yeah anyways i got one for you sure we're going to the wide wizarding world of harry potter on this next one all right have you heard of nicholas flamel yes did you do this one no okay now nicholas flamel is best known today as a character that doesn't appear but is discussed in in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or the Sorcerer's Stone, I guess it is in America. Yep. The book and the movie both talk about Nicholas Flamel. Yep. The creator of the Philosopher's Stone. Yep. Good friend of Albus Dumbledore. Good friend of Albus Dumbledore, and somebody who, up until the events of Harry Potter, had immortality. Yes. Now, he eventually lost it because the Philosopher's Stone got destroyed. Yep. But since he was the creator of the Philosopher's Stone, he had immortality. Yep. Which is really interesting. Most people don't know that Nicholas Flamel is a real person. Yeah. She she based the character off real person now this is a really weird one and the reason why i'm talking about it is it, he was a real guy he lived in the 14th and 15th century in france so he was born in early 1300s and he lived until 1420 mm-hmm. so he was in his like 70s or 80s when he died mm-hmm. supposedly what they know about him is he was basically a scribe and like a like a, he would sell manuscripts basically so he had a couple of shops in france and he was a scribe and somehow amidst his scribing he built up a reasonable fortune he owned multiple houses and donated to a lot of like the churches in the area like he would just be like a church patron basically it's a well-respected part of the community and that's about what we know why everybody thinks he was in all this crazy shit doesn't really make any sense because there's not a lot of record of him being an alchemist or being into the philosopher's stone or being into the occult at all or any of that stuff that people talk about sure now what's interesting is one of his houses which was built in 1407 still stands today no shit and it's it's like a restaurant today but that's just crazy to me to think about 600 years old nicholas lamel lived here and you can just go 
go like get a meal at this restaurant. We gotta go there. I would if I well I'm, I'm not allowed to go to France, but if I were, <laughs> I would go there. Anyways, um, it doesn't make any sense why he became like an alchemist. Why everybody thinks he's an alchemist? That started up in the 17th century. Some people basically the alchemy thing kind of took off back then. The alchemy thing, you know what I mean? Sure. You, know, you know what alchemy is like trying to convert substances into gold, basically. Sure. Yep. Somehow, some way, people thought that he was like some like mystical alchemist behind the scenes, and there were people that were saying that not only was he an alchemist but he created this thing called the philosopher's tone hmm. that gave him immense fortune and immortality yep the elixir of life they produced the elixir of life something like that and again there really isn't there's nothing in his life to bring it back outside of the fact that he was in the right spot 200 years ago now there are people that claim that he might have been in the alchemy towards the end of his life maybe but it's a mystery as to why him of all the people around back then why did, was he the one that people fixated on so heavily right and it was a big thing because even victor hugo mentioned him as a character in the hunchback of notre dame or notre dame one of his characters in that book was obsessed with nicholas Fumel and his esoteric knowledge hmm. doesn't make any sense as to why why him this random scribe in france is all of a sudden this like wizard basically hmm. and it all started 200 years after he died well supposedly died and people believe that they've interacted with him like they believe that he's still out there today and that people in the 17th century have like talked to him and learned some of his knowledge no shit and that he's still alive he's really old but he's still alive basically right so if Maybe, you, people still think he's alive today yes and uh and he his he's pretty much cemented in history at this point because of the harry potter thing right like he's basically the name of the book the philosopher's stone he's a philosopher basically right. yep so why that whole thing happened i don't know it's a mystery to me it really is and i wonder if if i were to dive in i wonder what i would be able to find now the 17th century they were fabricating shit back then and people are just like oh well they picked a character out of history and made a legend around him mm-hmm. but why him and is there any truth is there any seed of truth to it you know what i mean well it makes you believe in the the, the world of Harry Potter. Maybe maybe he's maybe he's not dead. Um, maybe he's dead now because the Sorcerer's Stone was destroyed. Well, Harry Potter isn't a real thing. I, I, I was making a joke. Making that was. Uh, I. <sighs> Anyways, that's Nicholas <laughs> Fumel. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Uh, that was probably my weakest of my three, but no, that was good. So um, everyone knows about this guy, but no one has still yet to identify the Tank Man. Oh shit, the Tamman Square guy. Yep. Okay. So for those who don't know, June fourth. 1989 protests against the communist Chinese government in the Tiananmen Square. A man got in the way in a line of tanks. And now that set up like one of the most famous pictures of the century and videos. Sure. But no one knows what happened to the guy. Some people say he got ran over. Some people say he got ran the over. The official narrative is that he didn't get ran over. Yeah, that he lived. I guess the um the former Chinese president in an interview, I guess he was in Spain for some type of, you know, conference or whatever. And he was saying in this interview that he was for sure that he was alive so that kind of makes me think that the chinese government had him and is controlling him somewhere and he's alive somewhere but no that one that because he, got he captured. was he was like never seen again no one knows who, who the guy is he was probably captured by the state exactly and executed or something or but no one ever said anything he didn't he didn't say where the guy obviously no. the, the, obviously the president wouldn't say but and no, this is, no, no no one ever found out who he was this is communist china so we don't i'm, I'm assuming they captured him but now were there not like thousands of witnesses to this event yeah, but at that point, like if if you if you remember the videos, a lot of those people were running away. Yeah, and, and the street was cleared. It that was is, just the that tanks. Is, no, that is true. So it's like I, maybe P- 
people just saw his back. Never, nobody ever saw his face. Yeah. And no one ever found out who he was. That's a r- weird, r- really weird one. Yeah. yeah. No one. He, he's still a mystery. And I, I've seen that one before, but again, yeah. I don't tank, know what to tank, do with that. Tank man, man. And there are stories out there that claim that people like that. It's like the Mandela effect where people claim that they saw him get ran over. That yeah. that was on TV. Yeah. And I don't think that happened. I don't think I, it I wasn't watching it, so I can't remember. But the, the clip doesn't get that far. You're right. I have seen a clip where he climbs on top of it. Am I wrong about that? Doesn't he? Does he not climb on it? I feel like I saw that, but then again, too, the other, the thing with the Mandela effect is you could see two similar things and remember them as one. Yeah. So you could have seen a clip of a guy just climbing on a tank and see them in close succession and combine the two. I'm telling you, I think there is a video of out there I'll of him some, climbing. I'll have to do some digging. Now, if you're the Chinese state-run media and everything is run by the state out there, yes, you would. You're not going to let a video of a guy of a civilian getting run over by a tank anywhere. Right. You're not. That's not going to be allowed to happen. Right. So crazy. That's a really. That's a whole. It's a very weird incident and there's a reason why it's not talked about more even though that should be talked about every single day people should be talking about that every single day because that's proof positive of the ridiculousness of the chinese government 100 percent but since it's not convenient for the global powers to talk about it exactly they want us to forget about tiananmen square tank man but i'm happy that on 4 30 in the morning we're telling his story even though we don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tank Man. If that was a short one, that was pretty great. Right. How many more do you got? I have one more short one. If you want me to get into it real quick, if you have another long one. Yeah, okay, you can go ahead and do your short one. Just, I'll, This is my last one and get it done quick. Cool. Have you ever heard of Woman of the Sin? Possibly. I'm pretty sure it's sin. That's how they described it in the thing I watched. Okay. So in France in the 1880s, a young woman's body was pulled from the river sign, Sin, in France. Okay. Now, the coroner thought that this woman was absolutely gorgeous, and her face was like preserved pretty well i guess sure so he ended up making which i think this is kind of freaking weird but he ended up making a wax plastered mask cast out of her face that is a little weird it's kind of freaking weird but that's what he did her identify her her identity was never known nobody ever found out who this woman was but she is the most kissed woman in the world and she is extremely famous because a norwegian toy maker was making the first cpr doll and he used the the sin woman woman's face oh and my god and now this now her face is literally on almost every single cpr doll made even still to this day it's the same it's the same face i don't know what to say about that isn't that crazy that is and no one she's on every cpr face doll and nobody ever found out who she was that one's unbelievable i literally don't know what to say about that (laughs) isn't that nuts is that all you got with that one yep i don't i can't isn't that crazy (laughs) it's just that's mind-blowing anyways i got a mind-blowing guy for you have you ever heard of the count of saint germain you should have because i brought him up on one of my early stories (laughs) uh he's one of my favorite characters in history the counts of saint germain he lived estimated from 1691 until 1784 in europe Hmm. now we don't know a whole lot about this guy we don't really we've got a story as to where he came from we don't know how true that is all that we know is that he definitely existed because different correspondence uh, different diary entries different private records from people throughout European history, especially in the 18th century, discussed him. Mm-hmm. France, Russia, Italy, the UK, or England at that time, uh, Germany. Germany is probably where he's most prevalent, but all that area talk about, there's records of him visiting and being there and talking, sure. talking to people, whatever. Now, he could have been anything from a time traveler to an immortal person to an alien to just a highly clever court charlatan, basically. Charlatan? You know what a charlatan is? Mm-hmm. Nobody really knows who he is. The only problem is, is he pops up all over the place. Now, the best accounts of him, and I'm reading the wrong guy, but I'm talking, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong words, but I'm talking about the right 
guy. <laughs> He's best known for his association with Prince Charles of Hesse Cassel, who rose to power in 1748 or something hmm. in Germany. And this guy was, uh, this isn't talked about in history, but this guy was a mercenary, mercenary dealer, basically. So he had a mercenary group of Germans that the English hired during the Revolutionary War. And that's how a big reason why he built up a financial empire in the Hesse Cassel financial empire out of Germany was huge and far reaching mm. and very it was a financially dominant empire back in uh, 18th 19th century Europe and nobody talks about it as much as it should be talked about but this Prince Charles guy was making money because he was dealing mercenaries wherever he needed mercenaries basically mostly England was paying through the roof for these mercenaries and a lot of these mercenaries were over in the United States fighting sure during the revolutionary war anyways this Count of St. Germain guy pops up all over the place now Prince Charles who I mentioned says that he was one of the greatest philosophers that ever lived and Voltaire the French enlightenment guy I don't know if you know who Voltaire is I don't know if you've heard that name before I've heard of that name he called him a wonder man and a guy who never dies and who knows everything or stuff like that shit now Voltaire is probably being sarcastic people think he was probably being sarcastic about this guy sure but Voltaire was commenting on him Charles knew him really well a lot of people knew him now what's weird about him is he never seemed to age he always seemed to be between 45 and 55 years old he seemed to be middle aged basically what's interesting about him is he was a musical genius okay and there's like there's like sonatas and violin solos that were written that the author is the Count of St. Germain mm-hmm. so he's like his music still survives some of his music still survives I guess he was a musical genius he was one of those compelling charismatic figures that basically you met him and he just left a, like a long standing impression sure so in the ninth, uh, 19 in the 1760s Madame de Pompadour who was a well known uh, mistress of Louis the 15th the king of France at the time Madame de Pompadour who was elderly by the time of the 1760s uh, heard a rumor that the Count of St. Germain was coming to visit like the estate that she was kind of like in charge of basically mm. and she was like she recognized the name the Count of St. Germain and she was like hmm that's really weird because in 1710 I was in Venice and I encountered a Count of St. Germain and he blew my mind he was one of the most interesting people I ever met and this was in 1760 this was in, 17, in the 1760s she okay. made the comment and she was elderly at the time right and he shows up and she's dumbfounded she was just like that's the same guy that I saw 50 <laughs> years prior basically so she was they were talking with each other and he looks the same and he looks the same and she was like well you you must have had a father who was in venice back in the back in 1710 because i was there and i talked with your father and you guys have the same exact personality you guys look exactly the same i can't believe it i can't believe how much of a <laughs> doppelganger you are for your father right it was oh well it was not my father it was actually me that you met all those years ago and she was dumbfounded she was like you yeah no shit and she's like well you had to have been you have to be at least 100 years old and he commented that i'm pretty much am at least 100 years old and she's like well that's impossible and it's like it's not impossible it's basically the comment that he gave back damn so she was like you can't be that old he's like well i am <laughs> he's like it's not impossible so this guy bounces around quite a bit he claims to have spent time in persia with the shah apparently he pops up in russia and he helped establish catherine the catherine the great on the throne he goes to england for a while he goes to france for a while but he seems to be closest with the hesse family of in germany that prince charles got it seems to be like kind of his like if he had a local a centralized area that he operates out of hmm. um some people say he was even doing secret missions to louis the 15th to england so that's kind of weird and i was wondering well if he was doing secret missions for louis the 15th how the hell didn't madame de pompadour know about that but then again too if he was a secret diplomat he was secret 
the mistress of the king wouldn't know about the secret diplomat. You know what I mean? Right. So he pops up all over the place, and he supposedly died in the 1780s. Now, supposedly is a strong word because he just kind of disappeared, but not really. He wasn't, didn't look like he was that old. According to him, towards the end, like in the 1770s, he started talking about his backstory a little bit. And before that, people would ask, they'd be like, you're this interesting guy, you're this musician, you're a genius, you seem to know everybody in Europe, basically. You seem to have like all these opinions about philosophy. Where did you come from? And he would always give like a weird answer that didn't make any sense. Like at one point he would talk about being 500 years old. He never gave a direct answer as to where he came from. Right. All of a sudden he's there. And back then, if you were there and you were able to charismatically get your way into the court and somebody liked you, they just give you a room and money and whatever. The right. ruling lord liked you. <laughs> and that's what people did. That was their careers, basically. So eventually he he said that he was the son of a Transylvanian prince named Francis Rakosi II. Now, this guy actually existed in Transylvania. And Transylvania is now part of our favorite country in Europe, Romania, that we talk about in almost every episode. <laughs> uh, so this guy actually existed and he had a son that died at age four but when this prince died this prince Francis died the son was left in the will still hmm. which is weird and people are wondering if maybe the son didn't die maybe he was hidden away and that the son might have been the Count of St. Germain hmm. that is the most people's speculation as to who this where the origin story right so it might make sense that maybe he was fabricating the all the other shit that he would talk about to hide the fact that his son had or he was the son of a guy and he supposedly died he faked his death basically Right. And I guess there were, there were political maneuverings that would have made that advantageous for the count to do that. And he probably wasn't even a count because St. Germain, where, where's that? What is that? Nobody really knows what that is. Right. Nobody knows if he's a count. Now, what's really weird about this guy is they said he died in 1784, which would have made him like 93. Right. Again, he didn't age. And he never aged. And in terms of all his encounters that he had with all these people, he never aged. And he was bouncing across Europe for decades. And what's weird is when you look at the history without this guy, you were looking at a lot of financial transactions and banking transactions transactions and yada 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 that don't really have an initiator like why there's no clear link for the german army to be selling mercenaries to the english like there's not there's no way to broker that transaction sure if you look at different other things it's like where is the broker between all this like why would this family all of a sudden start financing this family or why would these two people form a bank to finance a third war type of a thing sure and it doesn't really make any sense unless somebody was moving around helping facilitate all this then when you put all that on a map and you connect the stories of this guy popping up from private records and whatever, the Count of St. Germain was there every single time he needed a facilitator. <laughs> and if you read the other book that I got you for your birthday, that's going to be coming here pretty soon. I'm excited. There's going to be a chapter on this guy. And it's kind of cool how it breaks down. <laughs> I'm excited. But what was funny is when I was reading this chapter, this has been a guy I've been studying for a long time before mm-hmm. I started getting into this shit hardcore. I was reading that chapter and there's a setup chapter to this guy. And he asked the question, the author asked the question, he was like, now none of this makes any sense unless there's a guy that was bumping back and forth. And it's like, as it turns out, there is. And I'm sitting there for a second i'm like it's the count of saint germain i flipped the page and that's the next chapter so i was <laughs> nice. like fuck yeah i know what i'm talking about so anyways what makes this guy really weird and I'm, I'm almost done with him but he supposedly died in 1784 people didn't stop seeing him in 1784 though there are several instances where he pops up again in france and in italy and in england mm-hmm. yada 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 over the next century the last sighting of him is in the 1970s in paris supposedly and at this point there are people out there that just believe that he either is an immortal or he's a time traveler or something. Damn. Now, he shared a lot of ridiculous stories. Like, at one point he, like he, I said, he was in Persia. We don't know if he was actually in Persia or not. Like, who the hell could right. verify that? He claimed that he studied with the De Medici family in Italy, which was that famous financial banking family in Italy. He also claimed to be living during the time of Christ. <laughs> and he claims that he claims that he sat in on the Council of Nicaea at one point. Oh my god. 
but what's compelling about him is he has this knowledge that nobody else seemed to have. Sure. Like, he's the starting point of a lot of this shit, which is weird. It's like, well, it all traces back to the Count of St. Germain, basically. A knowledge or a thought or a way of doing something. Sure. And why that why that keeps popping up. And why he pops up in different people's journals across Europe. It is really weird. Now, he could have just been a extremely charismatic con man who uses musical ability to get in the courts and wield a little bit of influence. Doesn't explain how he never ages. That it doesn't explain how he travels across and how he finances it because he didn't seem to have a source of income himself which your source of income if you're a court person is you're with the lord and you're getting an allowance until you're cut off basically mm-hmm. that's not really a way to make a fortune unless you're really good right maybe he was that good but usually it's like the rothschilds that were the only people to make a fortune out of doing that you know what i mean right but they were smart in and of themselves so i don't know that's crazy the count of saint germain and that's g-e-r-m-a-i-n for our listeners the count of saint germain really interesting guy one of the weirdest wikipedia articles you're going to read yeah that's crazy and i did most of my research from uh the gods of eden by william bramley on this guy that was the source for this one and he's kind of like a game of thrones character like you see yeah. those guys that kind of bounce around that's what he reminds me of that's crazy so that's the count of saint germain do you have any more no i'm all set i wanted to cite my sources for my first one my very first one um, astonishinglegends.com and historicmysteries.com okay awesome so uh, for my first one yeah do you have any you got any more you're about wrapped up no that's about it for me well guys if you guys have any mysterious people please tweet us at 30 in the and if you think you have met any of these time travelers or people from different dimensions or, or anything like are. that tweet us at 30 in the or post to our facebook page yes please post our facebook page we also have a new social media account i don't know if i told you about this one we've got an xbox live account now oh my god <laughs> so if you guys want to play xbox with the guys at 4 30 in the morning please add <laughs> us on so xbox did, live did you get an xbox at 30 in the it's up there thank lord so we do have an xbox account now sweet i don't play a lot of xbox i don't know if you play a lot of xbox but every now and then so we have we have to do an account. i gotta get you a login for all that shit sweet that's about all i got for that episode are we gonna do our drawing real quick yes yeah, so as you guys know we do a drawing now to figure out the next topic for the next episode so <laughs> It's pretty fun. It is pretty fun. So I picked last week. So Pat. Oh, I got to pick this week. It's your week. We're going to. And now he's not looking. We got a bag full of like four or five topics and Pat's going to pick into the bag. Uh-oh. Drum roll. First one I'm touching. Drum roll. I don't do drum rolls. No, we're not. Are we ready? Not doing drum rolls. Bizarre sports moments. Bizarre sports moments. Is the topic. So it's going to be... Episode 44. Weird things in the world of sports that... And there it is. Just to prove it. I don't know if you can read that, but that's what it is. That's one that you said... That's one you couldn't read on the one episode. (laughs) But can you see? I'm not making it up. I see it now. Bizarre sports. So it's just going to be ridiculous stuff from the world of sports that... We find amusing, so it should be a pretty funny episode. Right, I'm, I'm that, hoping. that should be good. I've already, I've already been working on this one, waiting for it to get drawn. So I'm happy that we drew that one this week. Awesome, I'm excited. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I thought that was a pretty strong episode. Yeah, that was a good episode. Be sure to tweet us at Thirty In The. Check out our Facebook page. Check out our Facebook page. Check us out on Xbox Live. And that's about all I got this week. So thank you very much, guys. Peace. And landed on a man named Joseph Figlock. Have you ever heard of this? He was a street sweeper. Yes, he was a local street street sweeper who was walking down the road. The baby and Figlock both survived the incident. I'm sorry, I got... In Detroit in the 1930s, a baby fell from a four-story window and landed on a man named Joseph Figlock, a local street sweeper who was walking down the road. The baby and Figlock both survived the incident. The following year, Joseph Figlock 
was doing his sweeping job when another baby fell from a window and landed on him. Again, they both survived an incident. This man had two babies fall on him. That is yep. unreal. And that one almost made it into our coincidence episode. I yeah, saw that one. I, yeah. <laughs> now, what was really funny is when you were reading that, you said, Sweep Streeper. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. Shit. They're in the second one? Yeah. God damn it. We're but keeping it. Hey, we're care. keeping it. It'll, it'll work. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get it in. We'll, we'll, it'll be good. But yeah, that's my fun fact. He was an English guy, who, but if you look at Francis Bacon's life, he was involved in everything. He was all over the place. No shit. Like, there are people out there that says that he could have been Shakespeare. Hmm. Yeah. Can I kind of <laughs> look it up real quick? Sure. Sorry. Go ahead. I got to make sure I'm not talking on my ass. This is our best episode so far. I don't know about that. I do think once you listen to the most recent one, you're going to like it. Yes, there are people out there that claim that Sir Francis Bacon was the actual literary mind behind Shakespeare. 1989, protests against the communist Chinese government in the Tiananmen Tiananmen Square. Tiananmen. Tiananmen Square. No, it's actually, because I looked it up, the, the A-N in the middle is a long an. So it's like Tiananmen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I got I got I got confused for a second. I couldn't remember what it sounded like. Thank you. But um a man got in the way of a line of tanks. 